Let's begin not with the story of the wise men that we talk about at Epiphany, but let's back up a little bit because I want to talk about the context of this story. Because the context is hugely significant for us to understand what is happening, not just in the story, but what is happening. Because remember, see, what we want to do is we want to take stories that we read. We want to take scriptures that we read and passages in the Bible. We want to look at them. We want to look at the context that's immediately around them. We want to look at the book that they're written in. So this is in the book of Matthew. And when we take Matthew, then we want to read it within the context of the community that we understand that it was written to. So we have to do some work. We have to do some digging. We have to ask, who are the people that Matthew was writing to? Uh, Who is Matthew? What does his community look like? We have to begin to look at some of the language. We have to look at some of the context around it. As we do that, then we look at it in the bigger context, what was happening in society around that time. And so what we do is we don't just look at something flatly. We don't just take scriptures and we don't just paint them out and write them and place them on our walls. Maybe we do that, but I want you to think of them in more of a three-dimensional term. Now take that, take that verse, take those set of verses, take those stories, see that they're more like a cube. You can begin to turn them and shape them and move them and shift them and see all these different angles. And all of a sudden, things that we read, things that maybe are familiar to us, or maybe things that aren't so familiar to us, begin to help us to unwrap the story in such a way that we begin to see all this stuff happening. And it begins to challenge us in new ways. It begins to, add, to challenge us to ask different types of questions. It leads us into places where we, where we walk away, and I want us to read Scripture and go, Wow! Like, that, that has changed how I understand that, but it's also challenged me in my faith. And so today, we get to do that, and I think that's so cool. Now, the, the context that we have to look at as we begin to think about this, and, and, and we talked about this a little bit over the past few weeks as we've talked about Christmas, is I've reminded us that though we talk about and we sing Silent Night, and by the way, on Christmas Eve, as we sang Silent Night Together in My Home, We had to make a pivot. We had to make a shift. We didn't get to gather here, so we had this uh, gathering at our house where we were kind of meeting uh, throughout the evening. Oh, so beautiful. It was was amazing. It was awesome. And I can't wait to do stuff like that again. Like, it just, it was so, it was just beautiful. As we talked about in moments like that, you're you're singing Silent Night. Or, Or maybe you're thinking about the nativity scene. And for most of us, you know, my mom's got this beautiful nativity that she has above her fireplace, and man, it's just, it's just beautiful. And I walk in, and I look at it. It's so peaceful. But as I've told you, that's just not the scene. The scene w- was a little bit ugly. It was a little bit fearful. It was kind of scary. I, I mean, imagine for a moment that, you know, your wife is going into birth, and, 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 and she says, uh, um, it, it, the time is now. And you look and you go, well, we'll go to this place. Well, there's no room here for you. Uh, there's room over here in this space, uh, and there's plenty of animals over there. You can hang out with them for the night. That sounds lovely, doesn't it? It's kind of like, Joseph, you had one job. <laughs> you had one job, my man. You did, not, you, you did not complete the assignment. And so they end up with these animals, and we talked about just kind of that scene but now I want us to not just see that that scene was kind of chaotic, because it would have been chaotic, right? So chaos is here, fear is here, people are worried, all this stuff is going on, but this is the world that everybody lived in at that time. The, the world at that time, the regions were chaotic. 
In the region where Jesus was born, uh, it was a time it was filled with war. There, there was revolts that had taken place. It, there was political chaos. In any time, think about those three words, war, revolt, chaos. In times like that, uncertainty begins to reign, doesn't it? Anytime you have things like that, there's uncertainty that happens when people experience that type of pattern in their lives. In the city of Jerusalem, the, the surrounding area of Judea, were part of this region. And in that region, it had gone back and forth from being ruled by all of these foreign empires to gaining kind of a, the best way to frame it is really like a semi-autonomous existence. So they, they, they were kind of their own region, they were kind of their own kingdom, but they were always ruled by others. And this led to what I put in my notes as a shaky peace and uncomfortable alliances. One of those alliances was created when a man named Herod gained the throne in Jerusalem. And listen to this. This is so cool. This is so fascinating. He gained that throne in Jerusalem through a declaration by the Senate of the Roman Empire. He didn't get that spot by mistake. Herod's father actually served as a provincial governor under the rule of Julius Caesar. So, so do you see this incredible history that sometimes we miss? We read the story and go, oh, there's that Herod guy. And we forget, oh, Herod is a guy in his time, in his context, that it's in that place because of ridiculous political intrigue. He's there because his father, serving as a provincial governor, to Julius Caesar. So he puts his son in this place, and then you know, things begin to happen. People try to get in control. We know how all that takes place. And the political intrigue around all of this is absolutely fascinating. As we fast forward in his story, Herod eventually becomes the, gov- or the, the, the king, actually, and gains the throne and serves as a puppet king in the kingdom of Judea. Now, this means that Herod never truly had power. He only thought he had power, but he never truly had power. His allegiance, and listen to this, this is so key for us today, his allegiance was always to another ruler. I want you to lean into that tension and think about that tension today. That here's Herod, who thinks he has this power, but whose allegiance is always going to be to another ruler ruler. He is always going to serve another king. Now, at first, that ruler was that man by the name of Julius Caesar. But we all know history. We know that we looked at this a few weeks ago. We know that Julius Caesar was assassinated. A power struggle developed between Julius Caesar, uh, his son Octavian, and then a military leader named Mark Antony. So you have Mark Antony, you have Julius Caesar's son, Octavian. They're duking it out, trying to figure out who's actually going to get to rule. And eventually, this man named Octavian won, and he became the sole ruler of Rome. The new ruler in Rome that Herod, and don't miss this, that Herod would answer to. And this is where it gets crazy. Octavian wasn't happy just being the ruler of Rome. He had to take it a step further. Now, this is, this is so cool. Following Julius Caesar's death, following his assassination, this is, true, this is history, okay? 
an Olympic-type event was held in Rome. Did you guys, do you know about this? Anybody, history major people? Okay. There was, there was an event that took place in Rome after his death. And a strange occurrence took place that we find that is documented in history that took place during that time. And that strange occurrence is that there was a comet that was probably one of the brightest comets in human history that was ever recorded that actually sat and hung over Rome during those games. Now, think about what people thought. This comet then became identified with Julius Caesar. And people began to say, this is a sign. He is divine. This means that Julius Caesar's body is gone. His soul has ascended into heaven, and he has now become a god. That that comet, that's what it must be. It must be his soul. The man who we knew as Julius Caesar has now become a god. And the Roman Senate says, yes, of course. Yes, the man who put us all in place. The man that we all had our allegiance to, yes, he was a god. And they're thinking, hopefully I get to become a god too, right? So they, they agree, the Roman Senate agrees, and they declare Julius Caesar divine. So Octavian, get this, Octavian is now a self-declared son of God. And then he changes his name. To Augustus Caesar. Because now Caesar means divinity. Now, now Caesar means divine. And now Octavian, as now Augustus Caesar, can say to himself, I am the son of a God. I am divine. And so then what he does, he has coins created. Just like, for now, for now, just like us, has a coin created. And on one side of that coin, just like this one, he places his head, just like we still do, right? And then on the other side, rather than, you know, something else on there, what he puts, he puts a comet. He says, and here's what he's saying with this. He puts his face on one side. He puts a comet on the other side to point out, I'm not only the son of Caesar, but I am divine. He has this coin struck. Caesar Augustus has this coin struck to say, every time you look at a coin, every time you go to pay for something, every time you do something, you are reminded that Augustus Caesar is the son of a god and has a claim to his own divinity. So the Herod, that falsely sat on the throne in Jerusalem, had his allegiance to a man who falsely claimed to be a god, who struck a coin with his face on one side and this comet on another. Because any time anybody saw something bright in the sky... They would think, Caesar, because he's divine. Now, it is in that context that we come to this story of the Magi or the wise men. A mysterious set of characters who, what happens? 
after seeing a star, come to worship Jesus. This story is filled, serious, with mystery. This story is filled with intrigue. Who are the Magi? Scholars have some thoughts, some, some, some ideas about the wise men, the Magi, but we don't have solid answers. Who they are or where they came from. Cook your noodle for a second. We don't know what the star is. We could go back to my house and we could pour over some commentaries. And we could pour over some scholarship and people would tell you, well, the star may be these things, but we don't really know. We just know that as Matthew wrote this story, he says there was this bright light that shined over Bethlehem that caused these magi to come and to worship Jesus. But there is in this context some things we do know. We do find some really good questions. We find a question we need to ask because the star that we read about in the sky in this story declares not that a man all of a sudden became a god, but declares that God became a man and became Emmanuel, God with us, our Savior. Into this tension. Do you feel that tension? Into that tension, Matthew shows us how Herod he shows us how the Magi, he shows us as Matthew himself, and all of us here listening to this have to decide and choose which king will we choose. That's our story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. All of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem. In Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down, and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, because we know where this story goes, Herod says, hey, well, I'm going to get rid of this Jesus. They returned to their country by another route. And we know that Herod would do anything to hold on to his false throne, his self-appointed God-king, including denying the signs of the Messiah. Don't miss that part of this story. He hears all the signs, he's told all the things, he asked all the right questions, and he still says, no, I choose my throne and my false God-king 
over the one that you're telling about me that is prophesied to our people. Herod assumed his throne was what he deserved. He would do anything to stay in it. He was blind to the fact that at the end he still chose a king. The king just wasn't the true king. But not everyone chose like Herod did. Listen again to this. After they had heard the king, the magi went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10 says, when they saw the star, these magi, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down, they worshiped, they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I love this line. I've preached on this before. Having been warned in a dream, they go back another way. The magi bowed down. They worshiped, and then they went home differently than they came. And this leaves us with all kinds of questions. Matthew is asking us to read this story, to feel the tension here in the context, and then begin to ask questions. This story destroys the narrative of men becoming gods as the true God did the unthinkable stepping down from his throne to become man. And then we have an invitation. We have an invitation to step down from our thrones as well and to follow him in a new direction for our lives, a life of sacrifice. See, in Herod, we find ourselves looking and saying, if I choose that king, I have to step down from my throne. I don't get to sit on my throne anymore. But if I choose the false king, if I say, hey, I deserve to sit here, I choose my own stuff, and I chose my own story. I get to be in charge. I, this is my throne. We get to stay there. But if we decide to follow Jesus, if we say, hey, you know what? I think this story is true. I think this is Emmanuel. I think this is God with us. I think this man who promises grace and love and mercy and justice and truth and, and, and gives, life to, gives life to us. If I choose him, I don't get to sit on my throne anymore. How do we know that? Because Jesus said so. Matthew records a little bit later in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Forever who wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And this is what I love about this story. Matthew did choose, and he tells us about it. If we back up to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, it says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And as I thought about this story, and I thought about that coin that he's holding at that table. And as I thought about Matthew sitting there collecting these taxes, <laughs> Matthew, who now is in service to Herod, is in service to Caesar Augustus, is in service to the Roman Empire, who deals in coin daily that reminds him of the man who claimed to be God, all of a sudden, the man who is God. Not, not, the, not the man who became God, but the God who became man stands in front of him and looks at him and says, Matthew, 
Come and follow me. I really hope in that moment. And Matthew doesn't tell us. But I wonder in that moment, and I hope in that moment, he was holding one of those coins. And I wonder if he's holding it, he's looking at that coin, and I wonder if he begins to think about it for a second. Because look what he records. He knows if I get up from this table, my whole life is going to change. Weirdly enough, that table for him, that seat that he was sitting in, was his throne. It gave him tons of power. It gave him wealth. It gave him control. He says, if I drop this coin, and I choose to follow that man, I'm giving all of this away. And I just wonder, do you think he struggled? Do you think he flipped it around and looked at it? Do you think he saw the face and saw the comet? Do you think he sat like Herod and he said, I see all the signs. I know all the stories about this man. Is it going to be like Herod? Is it going to go, I see it. I'm still going to choose my own throne. Or is he going to take the coin, drop it, stand up and follow Jesus? Matthew pushes his chair in at that table. He takes the coin, and he walks, and he follows Jesus. Now, I wonder, I wonder as he followed, if he had trepidation. Do you think he was worried? Do you think he had a little bit of fear about, hey, what's this going to look like? I just left all of this behind, and I came to follow Jesus? I think maybe. But then Matthew wrote these words about Jesus. He wrote these words to say, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans. What's a pagan? Well, a pagan believed in false gods. A pagan chased after all of these other things and stayed at sitting at the table, counting their coins. But Jesus says, the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And Matthew says to us, I know this story. I live this story. I was this story. I dropped this coin because I didn't need to worry about my kingdom any longer because I chose to follow the one who will give me everything I need. He is the bread of life, and I will never thirst because I have chosen to follow him. And he says, I gave away my kingdom because I chose first his kingdom. Herod chose Herod's kingdom. He chose to follow Caesar Augustus because it empowered his throne. Matthew said, I choose to follow Jesus and I give up my throne. The Magi come and they choose to follow Jesus and they say, hey, there may be multiple stories about all these stars and all these comets and all of these bright lights, but we came and we saw the real Jesus. We saw the Messiah and we came to worship him.
And so today, as we read this story, as we begin to turn this, we see the context, we see the questions that take place, as we come to this thing called epiphany, a Greek word that simply means to reveal to the magi, to us, to Matthew, the Savior of the world has been revealed. So here's the question. I think every one of us has to ask, are we ready to step off our throne? Are we ready to push in our table? Are we ready to drop that coin and say, I'm choosing to follow the King of Kings? I am choosing to follow the Messiah. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible story. And this time that we come and pause, the time that we come to, to begin to think, to be convicted, to, to, to wonder whose throne are we, whose throne are we coming before? God, for so many of us, we, we, we say that we've chosen to follow Jesus, yet we somehow continue to sit on our own thrones. We continue to simply look to our own lives. But God, you have challenged us, you have called us, you have pulled us into a deeper story where we seek first your kingdom. We trust, we believe, we follow with faith. And you promise to provide our needs, to be our source as we come and follow you. Help us in this day to choose and help us as we come into this year ahead to continue to seek you and your kingdom in all that we do. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.